This is With You in the Weeds. Do you ever find yourself stuck in between what you know to be true and what you actually experience? Or the difference between where you are and where you want to be? Well, if so, you're in the weeds. And like weeds, those tough places keep coming back. I'm Lynn Rausch. And I'm John Tennant. As counselors, Lynn and I deal with those weeds all the time. Together, we designed this podcast because we want to be with you in those weeds, kind of like God desires to be with us. Hmm. Now, that idea will change everything. So we hope you'll listen in and let us be with you in the weeds. Let's get started. Yeah, hey, welcome to this episode of With You in the Weeds. And like, guys, if I can just start a special thanks to all of our supporters and listeners overseas. Yeah. Like those generous donations and everything that you're giving to us make it possible to put this <laughs> Wait, out. Wait, what Wait, donations? I, yeah. I haven't the gotten check, any donations. check must still be in the it mail. It just sounds yeah. good to say oh, that. Oh, okay. Does it? Okay, yeah. And uh, I'm here with Shay and Lynn, and they're married. Yeah. And they're going to get along today. We're still, still married. 25, almost 26 almost years. Almost 26 years. It's good to be with you. 23 of those happy ones. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, good. that's really that's good. That's pretty yeah. generous, but... <laughs> Well, today, as you guys know, but our listeners don't yet, we're continuing in our series, Becoming a Whole Person. And today's episode is revolving around this title, What Every Child Needs to Know. So why do they need to know it? Ready? Because if they don't know what we're going to talk about deep in their hearts, this stuff is going to show up in adulthood and they're going to stuck in what we call PASI, P-A-S-I, post-adolescent adult stage immaturity. Is that like a real acronym? It sounds like one. Or did you just make that up? No, it's just kind of like those donations from overseas. <laughs> You're making <laughs> up. Made it up. So, but, okay. but just think about it. Mm. This stuff shows up, little sure. unmet little kid needs, mm-hmm. whatever kid needs to know, shows up in adulthood. So we'll call it post-adolescent adult stage immaturity. And we've all met adults who suffer from this, right? Mm -hmm. Adults who act like little kids. I mean, not us, but we've met people. Yeah, we're pretty put together. (laughs) But these other people are easy to spot. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that buy the Corvettes when they turn 50 or they still live in their parents' basements, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I bought a chainsaw for my midlife crisis, John. Just want to let you know. Oh, chainsaws are great. Start cutting stuff down. I've been cutting stuff in the backyard and clearing a ravine. So I'm a pretty wild and crazy kind of stuff. Fix the newel post. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah, good stuff, absolutely. man. Well, but seriously, there are key questions that little kids need to have answered. They come out of the womb asking these questions, and they're the same questions that we still ask as adults mm-hmm. that we need to have answered in order to function well. And here are the two questions, really the most essential ones, mm-hmm. that every child all through the developmental stages and even into adulthood is asking and continues to ask. And they are these, one, am I loved? And two, can I be free? Or can I just have life my own way? Right. Mm -hmm. No, I I think what we're going to talk about today is so helpful. It's so important. This is information I wish I had had when I was starting as a parent. But you know, like you mentioned, these core questions, they don't go away. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. I'm asking Mm -hmm. myself or Shay these questions every day, like, just to be transparent here. I mean, just recently, I'm like, Shay, do you still love me? Like, 
well, I mean, of course he loves me, but it's like this driving question that still churns in my heart, and I come to him with this question. But I think, Shay, to put you on the spot, um, I think you're asking the can I be free question more often than you're asking the am I loved question. Can uh, I? Well, Greg, go ahead. You well, just it. can I have life on my own <laughs> yeah, terms? exactly, right? exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. But um, no, Lynn, you, you double my joy in life. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. You, you triple my expenses, but oh. you, double, you double my joy. <laughs> no, but yeah, I, I think we have established, um, even when we were dating, that we were like just two ticks looking for a dog. And, mm-hmm. and for me, I'm probably more likely, um, as you said, to be asking the question, can I be free? Meaning I, I like to have my space. I, I don't like to feel controlled. I want to make my own choices. Um, I I remember early on when we were first married and your parents said, hey, would you all meet us at at their house in Chicago to drive down for church? And of course, your dad was a pastor at Moody Church. And we were all going to ride in the station wagon down together. And I was going to be in the back. And I was like, no way. There is no (laughs) way. He hates riding in the back seat. I am giving up control of my life to somebody. (laughs) He does not want to be out of control. Well, I'm the same way. I like to drive. Mm-hmm. I don't like to ride in the back. Sure, yeah, I get it. Same way. Well, uh, that's why we think this series, Becoming a Whole Person, is going to be relevant to everyone, because these core questions are most pronounced in childhood. Mm-hmm. Am I loved? Mm-hmm. Can I run life on my own terms? Can I be free? These are most pronounced in childhood, and they need to be answered in childhood, but they're the driving questions, as we're discussing, that continue to be asked throughout the rest of our lives. So think of these ingredients, what we're talking about, am I loved, can I be free? Think of them, this has been helpful, Mm -hmm. like as we've talked about explaining this. Think of them like containers. Like if you have a container, you can carry stuff around, organize stuff, keep stuff from spilling out that you don't want to spill out and make a mess with. So containers is kind of a good image to use. And these two containers that we're going to talk about are the building blocks of character development. Mm -hmm. So we have uh, character capabilities that we have to develop that form these containers that actually hold the most valuable and deeper things of life later on. And if a child doesn't develop the container let's say, for being loved, they're going to grow up not being able to hold on to love. Hmm. So this is a little bit nuanced. Um, So we're tackling now the first question, right? Can I be loved Mm -hmm. or am I loved rather? Mm -hmm. And here's an example of what we're talking about when we say, if you don't have this container, you can't hold the stuff that's supposed to go into it. Sure. Right now Mm -hmm. we're talking about love. Here's an example. Um, You have an adult, no matter how much you care for them or how many people they're around or how many small groups and Bible studies they participate in, they still continue to remain stuck in this place of feeling unloved. No one reaches out to me. Mm. No one cares for me. And they just feel this void, this emptiness. Um, Or how about marriage partners? that feel like their partner doesn't love them, no matter how much the partner is actually trying to do so. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes it's because there's no container inside of this person that's been built to hold on to love. Mm -hmm. And it's missing from childhood. In other words, this question, am I loved, did not get a satisfactory answer early on 
So it's still being asked and it's still spinning and it's still in motion in a very pronounced way. If this container is missing, this is analogy, an analogy I thought of. It's like filling up a gas tank or mm -hmm. trying to fill up a gas tank that mm -hmm. has a big leak in it. Sure. You keep filling it up, but it's always running out. So very important container, am I loved, essential for life. Lynn, how does this container get put in place in the first yes, place? Yes, I love this mental image of a container. In fact, if you're listening right now, just maybe picture a container in your mind. What does your container look like? What does it feel like? How strong is it? How well does it actually hold love? And, you know, we use this imagery because really since infancy, you know, the infant brain is dependent on the caregiver for everything, not just the physical care, but like we're talking about the emotional and psychological care. And so part of this emotional wiring we're calling love. In our previous episode, we talked about the category of attachment. And so you can go back and listen if you didn't hear uh, last week's episode called What Every Child Needs to Grow. Um, but again, the infant brain is very malleable. It's kind of like wet cement. And so the first few years of a child's development turns out to be the most important. You know, in that stage, a child is having an experience of either being attuned to, noticed, cared for, responded to, or they're experiencing a lack of being nurtured or cared for. And so your early development, just as you think about your own container, this image that, that your brain is coming up with, you know, it could vacillate anywhere from feeling very safe and secure and strong and sturdy to being very kind of flimsy or disorganized or chaotic and distressing, like you can't keep stuff in. But the degree to which you had that question answered and your, quote, love container, if we can call it that, is the degree to which you're going to have the capacity to give and receive love, as you talked about as an adult, but also give and receive love to your kids. It really is the basic building block for what I would say is like a healthy sense of identity and also just resiliency when life gets hard, when you need to, you know, regulate yourself through hard times, this container is sort of like that foundational building block. Yeah, and I think many of us have, you know, seen that video of that still face experiment. Oh, yeah. experiment. Are you guys familiar with mm -hmm. that? Where, well, if, I, if not, go to YouTube yeah. and type in still face experiment. Mm -hmm. It's two and a half minutes of really well worth spent time. Yeah. And just, just fascinating. And if I remember correctly, I think it's a mom interacting, right, with her toddler or her infant. I think her mm -hmm. infant's in a a, a a high chair or something like that. And right. I, she might be doing peekaboo with him and, mm -hmm. and he's laughing. And then she turns her face and body away from him and she stops doing that. And he's wanting her to, to, to continue to engage with her. And, uh, for her to engage with him. And, and then, you know, you can just see the stress and, mm -hmm. and the panic and start to, um, on, on his face and his emotions start to come out because he, he realizes that his parent has turned him off and is not giving him the love and attention that he wants. Well, something interesting to point out is she turns, you know, she's engaging, right? Mm -hmm. The infant's like lighting up and having fun. She turns around and then she turns back. 
Yeah. And she looks at the infant, but makes no expression on mm-hmm. her face. Mm-hmm. And the infant's totally confused. And mm-hmm. that goes to your point of attunement. Yes. Yeah, like, absolutely. When that no, goes away, yep. the child is distressed and that can, that love container isn't being built in those moments. So there's a parent who's physically there mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. child sees the face, mm-hmm. but the parent's not really there. Yeah. yeah. Or something similar. This was more recent. Um, I, I saw a similar video on, on Twitter or X, as it's called now, of, of a newborn um, who the nurse is holding. I mean, this is just this is a kid right out of the womb. They, they clean the kid up mm-hmm. and the baby is just crying and sobbing and won't be soothed. And they and the nurse takes the baby and, and gives him to the mom and the mom kisses him on the forehead and she puts her face against his Aww. and the baby stops crying and mm. becomes just so happy mm. and mm. content. Almost a smile on his face. I mean, it was one of the cutest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But I, I think there is something about just a mother's love with her child. In fact, that image is repeated over and over in the Bible to talk about God's love for us. Remember Isaiah 49, 15 says this. What a great passage. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born. Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. Or or Jesus, remember, says, and I think it's Matthew 11, that if a father knows how to give good gifts to his children, and he says, even though fathers are evil, he says, how much more will I give to you, O my children? So the Bible uses these kinds of images of of parents, mothers and fathers, to show how great a parent's love should be for their kids. And you know what? God's love for us is like that and even greater. Hmm. Now, the interesting thing, you know, I remember uh, reading the parenting books back in the day when our kids were young, Lynn. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, here was some of the advice that we were getting at the time that one of the things that we were told was at night, after you've met all of your baby's needs, let the baby cry themselves to sleep. And so we would try this. (laughs) (laughs) There is a specific book that we read about this. I will not name the title. But but if you remember, it was so agonizing. And, And my mom would come, old school, and she would visit us. And, you know, she would hear Jack crying when he was an infant. And she would get so mad at us. I remember one time she threatened to leave, to call a cab, to, to drive her all the way back from Michigan to Missouri. <laughs> but but the, the baby was crying, she said, because the baby has a need. So I just wanted to throw this out to you, John. Any thoughts on, on what you think about that situation? Yeah, well, we started off asking, how does this container yeah. get built? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about like the rich biblical imagery of closeness and connection and the whole attunement thing, you know, where a parent can be physically present, but not emotionally engaged with the kiddo. Mm -hmm. It's really the emotional engagement and the meeting of deep felt needs that starts to build that container in the little kiddo. Mm -hmm. So here's something we talk about in the marriage class or parenting Parenting, class, rather. We also do a marriage class. Yeah. Um, My wife won't come to it anymore. She's heard it a million times, right? right? right. So have a good marriage. <laughs> it's better than anyone else's marriage. We love you, Paula. Today. We know no. you're listening. 
All right. So, okay. So to a baby, like a little baby, the world feels very chaotic, very unpleasant. If you just think about the basics, you come out of this nice, nurturing, close womb Mm -hmm. where you're near a heartbeat and you're like simpatico with your mother's body. And all of a sudden there are these bright lights and everything's (laughs) cold and somebody slaps you on the bottom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's really chaotic for a little kid. They don't know how to verbalize that. Mm -hmm. That's what they experience. But all of a sudden there's this really nice lady and her big friend who keep coming around and they make everything better. Mm -hmm. So diapers, cold, itchy bottoms, all that stuff, all the baby knows is whenever something doesn't feel good to me, this really nice lady and her big friend, they show up and they make these bad feelings tolerable. Hmm, mm-hmm. And sometimes they make them go away. So the baby starts to get something etched into their right brain, which is really what we mean by a container. Baby starts to get, well, you know, maybe I will be okay. Maybe every time I need something, they will make it better. Now, here's the key. The baby at this point is starting to take into its right brain the basics of trust. Mm -hmm. Now, how essential is that for adulthood, right? right? They start believing that loving relationships are a good place to go with problems. And even when things get real scary, out of control, life is lonely and everything's chaotic, they have this assurance that Mm -hmm. everything's going to be okay. This is building the container or you can use the word a platform or a foundation to know they're going to be okay. So let me, so I think your answer to my question that I posed to you, and, and I don't want to give parenting advice on this because I, I don't know what the right or wrong answer to the question is, but I, I think looking back on it, I think probably we should have not let the baby cry because the baby has a need. Yeah, not, did, not at that age. We yeah. did the same thing. Right. Um, you know, it, it, it's... Um, it was popularized, mm-hmm. right, back in the 80s right. and 90s. Mm-hmm. And I tried to implement it when my first daughter came home <laughs> because I wanted control of my life. Right, right. Parent directed everything. Mm-hmm. And we had Hannah home for a couple of nights, and she started crying at 2 in the morning. And my wife just springs out of bed, which is good. That's a motherly instinct. And I tried to hold her back and said, no, no, we've got to let her cry it out. (laughs) And she said, I don't care what books you've read or what things you've listened to. This is my baby and I'm going to it. And she was right by George. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, here's the deal. We we all, whether it's right or it's wrong, you get through it. And you know what? Your kids, my my kid, my Jack, they're they're fairly well adapted adjusted adults at this point. They, they grew up, you know, we didn't ruin them forever. However, we, we parented them. Yeah. So when this early on connection and nurture is provided, it's going to give your kiddo a very strong unspoken resource that resides deep in her heart and forms the basis for protection against feeling insecure and unloved later in life. Now, this is what we mean by a container. And really, essentially, you're becoming a missionary, if you will, for your child. Because if you build this container, how much easier is it for them to transfer when they get older as an adult to, hmm, well, if my parents met my needs, if my parents were there and I could make it through bad things because my parents were there and I can trust those relationships, wow, 
God must be like that. Mm -hmm. So you're building a way for a kiddo to trust God more easily. So Mm -hmm. this is really evangelical, Mm -hmm. if you will, even though it's not often labeled as that. You're building an apparatus for a kiddo to be able to more easily trust God. Mm -hmm. I think that's so good, John. I've never thought about that. That's what you're establishing when your kids are infants, just that love and that trust and that security. Yeah. So as we prep for this episode, you had some thoughts, Shay, on specific ways that you can express love maybe differently to boys than girls and vice versa. Yeah. So we're maybe skipping ahead here. You know, when I, I think when kids are infants, there there's not much difference besides just these basic needs that do need to be met. And I, I think dads today, um, may, maybe it was just because of the pandemic or hybrid work has changed things. And I think there's been some, some good results that, that have come out of that. But I, I you know, I, I see dads today, I, I think they're much more involved and helpful in the infant stages than I know I was, John. I, I, I felt so out of place and not knowing what I was doing um, when, when the kids were little. Um, you know, work, unfortunately, dominated my life, being a pastor, and there were just so many needs. And so I, I feel like a little bit, a uh, little guilt coming out here that I've, I missed out on so many great moments when the kids were young. But I, I do remember yet the, the day when I felt like I was a grown-up is when I called the police on the neighbors <laughs> shooting off fireworks because it was keeping Jack up, who was an infant. We at had the a time. baby that needed to sleep. <laughs> yeah, and I thought I finally reached that point in life where I'm calling the police on, on the neighbors. <laughs> but but I know as Jack grew up, and then we had Emma and Owen. I I, I remember reading as they got older several books that talk about the differences between what boys and girls need from their parents, uh, especially their fathers. And, and we can't spend much time on this. I, I would love to have a, you know, a whole episode on, on some of these things. But, but one of the books was called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters by Meg Meeker, mm-hmm. who is an MD. Excellent book. And, and she gives just a, a lot of just practical advice um, like this, I, I just want to—I want to read you just a quote from her book. It's, it's just full of of wisdom. But she says this: Most daughters tell me their fathers listen better and preach less than their mothers do. But there's a catch: it's harder to get a father's attention. Mothers are better at reading a child's mood and are more likely to ask questions. But it is your attention she wants because she senses the strength and concern behind your silence. She senses that you are genuinely interested in what she has to say, and that makes a daughter feel significant, mature, self-confident, and, and loved. Many fathers complain that their teenage daughters won't talk to them. They're usually wrong. It's just that these fathers have discouraged their daughters from talking to them. Daughters won't talk if they know the result will be only constant reprimand hmm. and correction. Mm. Daughters want their fathers to listen while they unravel their own tangled feelings and beliefs. If a daughter can trust her dad to listen, she will come to him again and again to talk. And it was so it was just little nuggets of wisdom like that that I, I felt yeah. like Meg Meeker offered that I, I thought was so good. You she references the father not wanting to get tangled up in the emotions of the daughter. I see this all the time mm-hmm. when I work with clients. 
the male kind of treats emotions like kryptonite <laughs> is to Superman. Mm -hmm. Like if I touch this, I lose all of my powers. Mm. Right. But it is exactly the pathway to engage the heart of a girl and a boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And That's how you get into the deeper parts of life. And, and sometimes all you have to do is just listen, right, and, and let them process. Uh, I also remember learning from, from Meg Meeker that you, you need to be, as her dad, her, her protector, um, not just with dates, you know, not just with monsters that are out there, but, but a pivotal moment in my relationship with my daughter, Emma, is I remember that the, the boys, Jack and, and Owen, uh, Emma's the middle child, would pick on her. And they would be dis disrespectful towards her. And I let them know one night in, in a just very strong terms that I would not allow the, the women in our house to be disrespected. They got the point. I got their attention. And, and I think Emma and I's relationship really changed after that. Um, she told Lynn one time, she used to, she told <laughs> She told Lynn, she said, you know, Dad, I, I used to not like him very much, but she said, now I really like him. <laughs> and there was a shift in her yeah. thinking towards me. Uh, but, but, but Meeker also points out a lot of good things that, that daughters need from their dads, uh, especially words of affirmation and love, which maybe don't come natural for men, as you were talking about, John. Um, we need to use our words and, and, of course, our actions as well. As well as they need to, we, we need to encourage them um, to be courageous, um, to be out there, to, to be risk takers. Um, I think guys, fathers, um, um, maybe are, are better equipped to offer that to their daughters. Meeker also has a book called uh, Boys Should Be Boys, uh, which I thought was helpful as well, Raising Healthy Sons. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I learned from that book is, is just I remember— you can't give everything, but, but, but just one thing is, is to, as a father, to put yourself in your, your child, your, your son's shoes, and, and think about what it was like at his age and what mm -hmm. he's dealing with. Maybe he's dealing with a, a bully at school or not being picked first on the kickball team and, and those kind of things. And so put yourself in their shoes and their emotions, what they're thinking, and don't treat them like they're adults and that they have the wisdom that you have in, in, in life. Um, I'll close with this. There's a verse, of, you know, Ephesians 6, 4 says, fathers don't provoke. And I think this is fathers and mothers, by the way, but, but it says fathers don't provoke or of exasperate your children. Um, when it says that, that command, um, I, it's got a lot of wisdom in it because there are a lot of ways we can provoke our kids to anger. And, and so we need to be mindful of how we do that with our children. Um, and by the way, I, we can't get into it, but I think one of the main ways that we exasperate our children to make them angry is our own hypocrisy. When we're telling them to do something, and they don't see us doing that in our own lives, or they see us doing the exact opposite, I think it makes children angry. Um, and by the way, can I just say one more thing? Maybe the most important trait, I, I think that I've learned over the years um, as a parent, and I've made lots of mistakes, is that is that you have to model to your kids, both both your sons and your daughters, is you have to model humility. To, to go to them and apologize and ask for forgiveness when you've hurt them, 
when you've wronged them and, and, and model how you need forgiveness from Jesus as well. That's really good, Shay. Yeah, I'm really thankful for books like that. And I've really seen you grow in that, Shay. I've definitely seen the impact that this has had on our kids. Uh, raising kids is no easy task, and so uh, we can use all the resources that we can get. But yeah, I think just ending on that idea of, you know, modeling humility that we don't have it all figured out and, you know, we're parenting from our own deficits. You know, I think this is just really good stuff for our listeners to take in and consider. Okay. So that, like that, that's sort of a bottom line thing we can think about when we think about this love container. As adults, we're either giving to other people out of what we lack, Mm -hmm. which doesn't leave us much to give at all, Mm -hmm. or these areas in which we have been wounded. Mm-hmm. And that love container is incomplete for everyone right. when they come into adulthood. Yes, that's true of so everyone. So we mm-hmm. want to normalize people here. Mm-hmm. Um, Shay, you had mentioned that being humble before your kids and apologizing and asking for forgiveness is so good because it models humanity to them. Yeah. And that triggered a thought in me that your kids need to see you're human. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you struggle with hypocrisy. We all struggle with flaws Mm -hmm. and kids see through that stuff, like with x-ray vision. Mm -hmm. And if we're not real about it, guess what that teaches them? Well, I can't be real about that either. Right. And if I have these things going on where I always goof up and spill the milk and I have to apologize, yet my parents do it and they're not apologizing, can I really trust them? Can I trust authority? Yeah. So you take a lot away from your kids when you're not modeling humility, which is so hard to do. Uh, and one of the reasons it's hard to do is because if you don't have yeah. a container inside of yourself exactly. that says, gee, I can be I'm a loved. goofball mm-hmm. and still be loved. If my love container is not fully formed characterologically in my right brain, then guess what? I can't afford to admit my flaws. And I can't see that conflict can be productive um, or repaired. Mm -hmm. But it is never too late to begin, Mm -hmm. never too late to learn this stuff. And that's some of what we're going to plug into when we do part two. Mm -hmm. Because as we got into this, we decided there is so much good stuff here. We don't want to squish it. Um, So we're going to expand it. Kind of like one of those sponge pills you put in water and they get really big. (laughs) So we're going to expand this into a part two, because in part one, we've tried to address the question, um, at least a little bit, of that big question we all ask early on and we keep asking, am I loved? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do I matter? Uh, The second question, can I be free, uh, is what we're going to tackle in part two. And it's essentially is, can I run the world the way I want to run it? Now, what adult does not struggle with that, right? <laughs> so we'll see you on the other side in part two. It's been great to talk about Am I Loved? And we'll see you in part two. Thanks, John. Sounds good. Thanks for letting us be with you in the weeds of life. We want this resource to bring you hope and to help bridge the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Follow us on Instagram at With You in the Weeds. If you like what you're hearing, text the episode to a friend, like us, and leave a review. Until next time, remember, God is with you in the weeds.